You're listening to Red Center, your guide to digital cinema, filmmaking, and cutting-edge imaging. Welcome to episode 52 of Red Center. Hey, Mike, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Excellent. I'm not Mike Seymour, but he is. Um, welcome. Uh, the Christmas <laughs> special. That's <laughs> uh, so two Ronnies. Oh, dear. So, yeah, here we are. Um, thanks, everyone, for joining us. Probably for our last show for the year, I guess, Mike. What would it be? Unless uh, something extraordinary happens. I'm certainly not uh, doing one between Christmas and New Year. No, I'm ready for a break. <laughs> but we do have an action-packed show for you this week. We're going to uh, be doing an amazing, uh, or having an amazing chat with um, Ari, uh, Jay Slice in the show. Yeah, fantastic chat with uh, Oliver Temler, who's the technical support for uh, camera department for Ari Cinematechnic, and he uh, basically covering their new digital cameras, and very good of them to uh, chat so early in the piece. Given that they're probably yeah, going to be, really, it's a really good chat too. I really enjoyed that interview. So um, that'll be coming up for you later in the app. Yeah, yeah, because obviously they've still got a lot of t- a lot of work to do. It's un- I guess it's a bit uncharacteristic for them to open up so early. Yeah, I think just the world has changed, hasn't it? People need to talk a little earlier, and I think it's a good thing when when they do. Um, speaking of which, actually, in the news, which we'll come to in one second, uh, we'll also be discussing the new moves with Sony and uh, SR 2.0, which um, which is pretty interesting. Uh, but um, there's a bunch of other news as well. Actually, we should get to the news, shouldn't we? Um, <laughs> Sorry. Well, before the news, can we? Can I just because uh, I'm still in the afterglow of the cinematic event we just saw two, a couple of nights ago, which now, by obviously, by the time this comes out, everyone in the known universe would have would have seen is uh, Avatar. Yes, certainly a breakthrough, um, incendiary uh, amount of visual effects. Uh, I, I was intimidated by how good the visual effects were. <laughs> I just thought it was. I just found it at la- that at last it felt that the whole three D thing had sort of broken free of the the gimmicky status up till now, and now that is truly three D being used as a, as a, as a proper tool and as and, and as an immersive one and something that really s- helps you get inside the film and really feel like you visited Pandora. It was so immersive, the 3D, that apart from the fact that it had glasses on, I would almost wanted to take them off to check that we were actually watching stuff in 3D. And the, But the second thing is, in the cinema that we happened to see it at, which was uh, before it was sort of in major release, we were wearing stereoscopic glasses that were, in fact, uh, uh, linear polarised rather than circular polarised. So if we tilted our head to the side, yeah. it would uh, start to break the uh, stereoscopic effect. Yeah, which wasn't a real issue. No, but apart from that... Um, which has got nothing to do with the film and everything to do with the projection environment, uh, I thought the 3D was flawless. And that's how flawless it was that I'm talking about. it was flawless. It's pretty much a flawless film. And I just saw it again last night for the second time in real D as opposed to IMAX Digital, which we saw Mm -hmm. first time around, uh, which would be um, Circular Polarizer. Yeah, which... uh, Maybe the glasses. I actually, I should have. I didn't have the glasses with me. It would be interesting to compare them in terms of their darkness. I know the whole screen and everything else is a completely different setup, and everything is all the way it's projected and the screen material they use is all geared for the particular glasses they're going to use. But it did feel a little bit. The glasses feel maybe a little bit darker, but um, overall, I didn't. I actually didn't notice an awful lot of difference in terms of quality or sharpness. Or if we're going from digital IMAX to just the regular. Which I guess would be 2K. Um, it didn't for feel real like the lumens were down, did it? It didn't feel like we were watching something that no. was 
faint or dark. No, maybe a little tiny bit in the real D that are in the cinema that I was in, but okay. uh, not 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 now, not noticeable. That second cinema was not because uh, the one we saw it in the first time is basically a brand new IMAX Hoyts Digital state of the art um, cinema. Was the one you saw it in the second time as kind of uh, a flagship cinema? I think so, yeah, because, yeah, right. yeah so, definitely. I've never known there to be any digital projection in this cinema that I've been to before, and I go there all the time. Uh, I think with all of the rollout of, you know, Cloudy with me- uh, with Meatballs and all that sort of stuff now, 3D, they're really starting to, and particularly now with Avatar, I'm noticing it's almost, you almost can't book a 2D screening of Avatar around, around Sydney, at least. There's, it's more, you, you know, almost every cinema now seems to have had a fit out for, for digital, for real D. I have to say that after I saw Avatar, my entire centre of uh, research, uh, interviews that we'd be doing, everything else, I've wanted to swing all of that yep. to stuff that wasn't about the stereoscopic effect. In other words, so immersive and complete and satisfactory was the 3D experience that I don't need to discuss it. I want to discuss other things. Yeah. Although I personally, I was quite keen to kind of research locally here. I want to find out what was the, what's the actual setup because I went and looked at an IMAX and then I looked at what was probably, theoretically the difference from IMAX to there wasn't a great leap apart from the screen ratio. The IMAX screening I saw was 178, so getting close to like Academy or like 185 kind of screening. Well, now, just to be clear about this, what we were seeing was uh, mini IMAX. Yes. They don't call it that. Not a massive 20-story high screen where the only good seats are the last three rows up the back. This was a very... Um, you could be any, it was very much like being in a normal cinema, but just a, a slightly higher screen, wouldn't you say? Speaking of which, where were you in the cinema on the second screening? Because we were three rows from the back because I booked the seats. Right. The center, I was sort of optimum, in the possibly. middle, I think in, I mean, obviously every cinema is set up differently, but sometimes they have that middle kind of walkthrough area yeah. and then there's like a, yep. you sitting in front of that barrier in the middle there. So that's where we are, right so up front of there. And I'd say that was perfect because it was the actually. Center, bit yep, still forward. the center. Yep, still the center. Uh, was perfect. It was two three five for this real D screening, and it was just perfectly sitting there in the gla- in the frame of your glasses that right. it just felt felt just right. So apart from, I think, I'd say I suppose the advantage of the IMAX being a bit more higher, you know, a slightly higher frame, not cropped top. I guess they're extracting the two three five out of the middle of the IMAX frame. I'm I guessing. Assume so. I just yeah, I'm guessing. Tonight, yeah. But I guess it. I, I guess being a slightly higher frame rather than so wide. I guess it more fills your, maybe more fills your frame of vision. Maybe fills your peripherals a little bit more, which in 3D maybe feels a bit more like your. You know, it's not like the frame lines go outside into your peripherals. It's all still right in front of you, and it's definitely you're you're looking at a screen, a a square frame. But um, it just, I think maybe the higher frame just was a little bit more immersive because it filled your peripheral vision just a little bit more top and, top and bottom of frame. Does that make sense? Yeah. From a um, digital cinematography point of view, which is, of course, the basis of this podcast, the, oh, the film was... Sorry? Astounding. Because <laughs> the film was uh, one of the first to really do live action uh, stereoscopic work since probably we have saw... Uh, journey to the center of the earth. I mean, a lot of the 3D that we've been looking at between Journey and here was uh, stereoscopically generated from a render man file of 3D as right. in animation. Yeah. And, and as you know, I think Up is the pinnacle of that work. Mm. But the quantum leap in quality of 3D stereoscopic resolution and convergence between, say, 
um, journey and Avatar is, I mean, obviously a vastly bigger budget. But you know what I mean? Everything about Avatar in terms of stereo said to me, these guys have done years of stereo, which, of course, they had with the Titanic uh, underwater stuff and everything else. It totally felt like it wasn't being overused. There was a great use of it. You definitely got a feel of the depth, but it wasn't. I mean, there's the odd arrow right up to the lens, but you didn't feel that they were pushing it. You just felt that, that if that's the natural framing for that shot, I was gonna say, it never it, yeah. felt forced. It never felt like whether we were having an arrow to the face yeah. just because we could. You never, I guess the test was, you never, you thought, wow, this is wonderful, and it, it helped you be immersed, but you never, the use of the 3D never then took you out of the film. I guess. I agree. It just didn't take me out of the film. It, it yeah. kept me in there. I think there's an aesthetic, uh, that immersive look. I would say that, that the aesthetic of this film, from a cinematography point of view, is incredibly cinematic, and yet the look of the actual frames in a stereo experience yeah. is no longer filmic. Yeah. That's the wrong term. Because yeah. it's stereo, and because it's so clean, and because there's no weave and float, and none of the characteristics that we would associate with film, mm. it's a new aesthetic. It's like... It's like you've taken filmic cinematography, combined it with what I can only describe as kind of a gaming aesthetic, um, and then sort of got this new thing, which is this new look, which is a look that I think is, um, it's not stylized, but it is slightly polished in the sense that it yeah. lacks imperfection. But or, Yeah, and obviously n- no spoiler alerts coming, but y- y- obviously for most of the film you pop from you know, traditional, you know, real cinematography through to, you know, a fully CGI world. And it really felt, although you you are changing environments, there wasn't a complete leap or change in looks. It still felt the depth of field in, in, in all of the CGI totally matched the cinematography. The cinematography, the beautiful, that was brilliant. I've no idea. I honestly now want to completely, because up until this point, I felt that 3D has been a gimmick. You know, terrific, great idea. Nice, not you know, I haven't seen that many 3D stuff, but just felt, yeah, it's a nice gimmick. This has now taken it from gimmick to this is now totally for me legitimized the technique, and I now then now want to research it, dig deep into it, speak to people. Now, obviously, people are now out of NDAs, and we can start to sort of speak to some people involved, dig a little bit deeper onto the tech, the gear they used, you know, the pace pace um, rigs and really find out what cameras they used and, and how we you know how they're implemented because it's uh, really legitimized tech to me now well we'll be doing a vfx show on um on avatar talking with two hopefully two members of the mm. avatar production team one from the digital cinematography team being david strapinis and uh, one mark christensen who was on the effects team uh, but in addition to that fx guide is going to be talking uh, tomorrow to John Knowles from ILM. We've already spoken to uh, to Framestore, and we will be talking. We we hope uh, to Joe Leteria, the main visual effects supervisor uh, from Avatar in Weta at uh, in the first week of January. Yeah, I actually don't think in this particular case we want to spoil by running all of our Avatar stories before you've seen the film. Yeah. Because we need to basically dig deep on how you did things. And to that, you actually have to have seen what we're talking about. So. Absolutely. Definitely go see it. And I'll, one of the few questions on, on one of the more most um, often asked questions on Twitter has been, well, 3D, do I bother with the 3D? You know, is it a gimmick? Should we do it? I think ab- for me, absolutely. I'm sure the 2D won't, your version won't, won't, you know, won't spoil your enjoyment of the film. But 
it's an absolute must see. The first time you see this film, I say sorry, go go and see three D. Don't you yeah, think? Yeah, as Mike? opposed to say G Force, which yeah. was a stereo. No, but I mean That's it was the a good hamster film. Right? film yeah, 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 no, but it was a good. Uh, it was a good kids film, and and in that, I would have said if you can see it in stereo, fine. If you don't want to see it in stereo, yeah. fine. Yeah. Um, but I am a bit sensitive to the headache thing. I am. I have eyes that, are, for whatever reason, I just react poorly to poor stuff. Some people have a lot higher degree mm. of tolerance. Yeah. I didn't have any problems with Avatar. No. But I literally am a guy who would think twice about going to see 3D. If somebody said there's a 3D film out that's um, my evil Valentine murdering uh, ex-boyfriend <laughs> slasher film, I would just say not go and see it in 3D because I'd be, I'm thinking, well, 3D is probably very good. I'm going to be feeling kind of a motion sickness thing. I mean, I'm yeah. bad in the back of a car on a long journey, right? So, but... Not, not the case for Avatar. I totally uh, back you up on that. No, You're absolutely right. Absolutely right. Don't hesitate. If you can see it on that, go for it for sure. It's, it's an absolute no-brainer. It, uh, yeah, goes. I mean, previously I'm, I've been like you, like, oh, I'll go see the 2D version and then at some stage I'll go, you know, I won't drag the whole family to go see the 3D version. I might go from look at it from a technical point of view. This is the first film that's completely the opposite. And just while I'm continuing that line of plugs, we've also uh, spoken to Dana at Pixar about the render farm and uh, complexity issues on rendering something as complex as Avatar and stereoscopic workflow in that respect. And that'll also be folded into our uh, coverage over the coming weeks on uh, FX Guide. Hey, um, let's, let's go to the news. And now, the Red Setter News. Um, but just before we get to Red... Uh, per se, what I thought we might be interested to do is discuss the new Sony SR2 format. Yeah, I'm glad that you researched this because I'm trying to make head nor tail of the, of the, of the announcement. It's basically saying that I guess this is a reworking of the SR um, format and the SR um, um, standard. It's, it's SR Mark II, yeah. So let's, I think it's just worth discussing it. And the reason I want to segue into it is that one of the things that SR2... Uh, and SR2 decks are going to give us is the ability to record 1920 by 1080 at double speed. Um, and this is relevant for stereoscopic workflow, of course, because then you can have two cameras uh, feeding into the one SR. So this double right. speed okay. for, for recording and playback is, um, is, I think, a really interesting aspect, and, and that's why I wanted to segue to it now. Um, I do want to geek on it for a bit because, yeah. quite frankly... And I think I think it's worth saying this, actually. We have had enormous amount of feedback from you guys on the show. And without a doubt, the audience that we're talking to, the people that are listening to the show, are in the industry educated and informed and want a considered opinion on a bunch of tech and don't want just the press release. Now, yeah. we don't have an in-depth interview on this. I too, but I do think it's worth uh, discussing. And quite frankly, it's what appeals to us to discuss this stuff in some depth. But I, I do warn you that uh, there'll be lots of um, geeking stuff, as always. So so what SR2, I think, is really interesting about it is that SR, for me, is a tape format. And what Sony's trying to do... Is that what... Yeah. what I'm interested in yeah, finding it's, it's out. An, it's a tape format, right? Yeah, yeah. but what, what they're trying to do, basically, is say SR is no longer a tape format. It's How a... bloody yellow. What? Holy bloody Lulia. <laughs> it's, well, mm, I think it still is. But anyway, they're saying it's a tape file memory selected bit rates open file format. Um, and I think that that's a conceptually ill-defined place for them to try and take SR2. Um, so at the moment, 
they you, you think of SR as being a very fixed in concrete standard. Mm. And it's 1920 by 10 It runs at, you know, 24, 25, 30 kind of thing. It's 444. And it's inherently normally linear in the sense that it's not a logarithmic file. What they're taking it to is, oh, we're going to offer the ability to do double time uh, HD. We'll also offer file. Well, there is some file format stuff now, but they're going to offer file format recording to the SR format. Um, by doubling the tape transfer speeds, that means you can basically rec- record up to 4K data. Mm. And then they're introducing memory options um, that allow for the ability to record effectively, quote, SR to a memory module, which is, oh, by the way, effectively a virtual SR deck, and then run it out that way. And in the process yeah. of doing that, they're folding in the Sony S-Log curve to try and take advantage of going beyond Rec. 709 in terms of... Um, the uh, F35 in particular, mm-hmm. and they're also offering, which is, I think is particularly interesting, an upgrade path because uh, the um, the new uh, SRW9000 HD cam SR quarter has a two-thirds inch um, right. chip, yep. right? And that'll record to SR tape. Yep. There's an option to go to a 35-millimeter PL mount um, chip recording chip. to memory yeah and so there's a, a like a memory option or a memory uh recording device yeah that they can then record to because there's the solid state recorder for the genesis where you can have yes yes but which that's which is, is different beast. is very much a virtual because the thing about that is that you clip on a tape deck that isn't a tape deck it's a solid state recorder but to get the files out of that you just play them out like the video in other words it acts just like a video recorder not yeah. a data transfer device you don't yeah. randomly access into it like you do with yeah you can't pull the files out faster than real time and, and it's just yeah it's a stream that comes out so mm. it's effectively like you're playing a tape but there's right. no tape um and by the way they have reduced the cost of sr tape though it's not a huge amount um but the drives themselves you know it was that was all the whole what what held people back and what helped a lot of people back from sr and what probably helped red get a bit of a foothold is the incredible cost of the um, you know the, the the decks on top. It's not just the cost of you're going to buy an F35. The decks are, were traditionally and the, and the standalone decks, yep. rack, rack decks are like it's, you're talking. It's six figure. You know, it's oh, yeah. serious sticker. Well, there will now be three uh, data rate transfers. There'll be an 880 megabits per second HQ, a 440 megabit per second SQ, and a 220 megabit per second light. So these are the three kind of um, data rates, and they'll be available in all future HD cam SR products. And you'll also be able to transfer now DPX files and in the future MFX files. And so doing MFX transfers, um, starting to actually turn the, um, the thing into a sort of a giant data recorder. So what's the difference from those two file formats then for the Well, real the DPX world? file format is... Um, a file format that traditionally encases a Cineon file. And uh, you, it has a, it's a completely... The reason you encase a Cineon file and a DPX file is to add metadata. Right. So the trick about all these file formats is um, the metadata because the metadata is what makes the... How can I put this? What makes the file information useful? Yeah. Because without the... Um, the uh, without that, it's just like a TIFF sequence kind of thing. Yeah, and and... So MFX, which stands for Material Exchange Format, 
is all about that, right? It's MFX stands for Material Exchange Format. Yeah, okay. MX for exchange. Okay, format. yeah, okay, okay. It's right. a container. Like, yeah, yeah okay. But it's so defined it's, by SMPTE. Yes, yeah, so it's like a DPX plus metadata all in a, in a packet, packaged up. Yes, yeah, it's metadata and and files inside a... Work with me, I'm, I'm trying, I'm Yeah, no, that's fine. And it has a time code and it has a lot of things that you want. Right. Um, and uh, it's like a subset of AAF. And so anyway, the point about MXF is that um, it's a good, robust format. Um, it's supported by Avid, mm-hmm. by Smoke, After Effects, Premiere, a bunch right. of people. Um, P2 has MXF. Right. Okay. Okay. So... So now, now you mentioned something about. Sorry, I'm jumping ahead. You mentioned something about different frame rates that'll run at different. Yes, speeds. well, that's that's really interesting. So the the new decks and stuff. Um, so there's a production that they uh, flagged actually in the press release, which was in Prague. I think I'm run, remembering that we're actually running their cameras because it's for a ride or a you know environment right. immersion thing. They're actually running those at 48 frames a second because you can run it two times for producing 24p in stereo you can also run a single stream at 48 frames a second so that becomes pretty interesting so there's lots of interesting things going on here there's the s-curve stuff there's the um that was by paul chapman i think it's the same paul chapman i once worked with in england um 10 years ago so paul chapman senior vp of technology for photochem is listening to this it is you paul hi how are you And, and and good luck with the new facility in budapest um so it's basically got the S-curve stuff, uh, which is... Because the F35 has better uh, latitude than a red. Sure. Uh, we've known that for a while. Yep. So the S-curve is basically now moving from a linear... Essentially, when I say linear, I mean video, gamma, non... It's not actually linear, but it's uh, video linear uh, world to uh, more like the what Genesis is doing with the uh, panalog. And so the S-curve is a kind of a, a, um, a better dynamic range storage device because it distributes the storage more evenly through the um through the range of the the bits that it's recording it's still 444 but um there's nothing stopping you storing logarithmic information in fact a a common indie film workflow is to basically produce logarithmic cineon type files but only at 1920 by 1080 and just store them on an sr deck and the sr deck doesn't know that it's storing logarithmic film format files at an HD resolution. You're basically taking film encoding video technology, putting the two together and you get a real-time uh, film recorder. And um, so that's been going on for ages. Like that's a classic indie cheat. And so they're doing this now at uh, in a kind of more professional way. But then there's also, as I say, these higher data rates, the data recording capabilities, the... Uh, and Which then is where it these... should be heading. Should it not oh, be yeah, going sure. to that? I mean, and, is and... this not a way of Sony extending a, a hack and a format that you know well, should have hack. died along with no, all the other no, tape no, hang formats? On. Now I'm I'm going to call you on this. SR is the industry's most professional, high-end backbone. It's quite tape compressed, though, format. is it not? SR? No, yeah. no, no. SR is friggin' awesome. HD cam. Hey, that's what I'm thinking of. HD cam. HD cam is like seven to one compression, that's and it I'm has generational, of, which loss. is the format of the Genesis, which is what I'm using. No, 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 no. Back up. So it was the format of the F900 HD cam. Okay. Genesis has only mild um, compression and records. Okay. It just SR uses this. It just uses well before they had the solid state recorder. It just uses the. It uses those tapes. HDSR cam. 
yeah, tapes. There's, there's two types of HD. They're very confusing, I know. There's HD yes. cam, which is what the original Star Wars was shot on digitally. Sure, yeah, yeah. Seven to one compression, um, and it's generationally... Um, by that I mean it, if you keep recording between two decks, backwards and forwards, you contribute and, de- and it, the signal uh, degrades. Whereas an SR tape, once it's in SR tape format, it does have mild, I think, two-to-one compression, but it's, that's it. You then dub that to another SR tape, to another, to another, to another. It never gets any worse. Right. With an HD cam tape, not an SR tape, an HD cam, you would dub it and dub it and dub it and dub it and just get worse and worse until the point at about 10 out, you'd go, hey, I don't want to put this to air anymore. Wow. But that HD cam, the original HD cam format, um, was the format that was used for the F900, the f uh, 750 yep. and that format is uh, still in use today and is not bad if you wanted to give somebody an SR tape of something but not a great capture medium because obviously it's the start of the process and also just not as robust as SR. SR SR today is the backbone of HD production globally amongst all high-end facilities. You go to a photo cam like we were just talking about, you go to a, you know, a major house like uh, Pacific uh, or um, you know, any one of mm. the major um, ascent media type companies they'll have SR decks no question about it they're okay. great yep um, I I say this because being you know obviously very red friendly I love R3D but there is it is completely swamped it's like a Mac versus PC discussion right like you might think a Mac's really cool but if you go out into the big wide world the workhorse of industry world. is not a mm. it's not a Mac mm. um, so and, and, and I've got to say SR is a brilliant tape format Having said that, because it's the interchangeability, right? Sorry, but mm-hmm. mix my... Uh, yeah, okay. But you can guarantee that an SR tape right now recorded in Sydney, you walk over to London, put it in a deck in London, it'll work, right? Yeah. You, it, it is the generic high-end backbone, you know, gold stamp, full stop, yep. thanks for playing, tape format. However, <laughs> it's a tape format. Yeah, that's and right. And so I think your point is you don't want to be shooting on tape. Well, I mean, the theory would be to, you know, why we move to solid state, as you say, the, this can be, I guess they're going to apply this Kodak to a solid state okay, so now, version now, so and be able to take code. a you solid, state, solid drive. state What do you do with a solid state? Well, I give it to, uh, I guess it would record to something that then would be then theoretically readable by another. It's a matter of encoding and getting it onto it on some sort of drive that then theoretically you could um, playback on a system that doesn't cost $100,000. Okay, so, so think of it this way, right? I'm just thinking of getting the no, cost, no, no, cost down because yeah, that's been you. a barrier for, other, for a lot of other people outside of you know, the Pacific data and all that sort of stuff. No, no, I'm with you. But what I I'm, what I'm guess I'm saying is that Sony's uh, angle, if I can speak for them, is that you shoot solid state, what they call memory option. Yep. Now, where do you put it? And in your world, you'd stick it on a bunch of hard drives, right? But you can do that because the footage has got R3D encoding. So you get, you know, it's, it's uh, 30 to 1, basically, between the 4K. If you just do the maths, right? It's not mm. that it's a four, 30 to 1 compression. But basically, if you didn't have any R3D in there, a red camera would need 30 times the disk drive to be able to store that stuff. So what Sony is saying is instead of using an R3D form, which, by the way, we don't own anyway, we are going to turn the SR deck into the mega firewire drive yep. for recording all this data because we don't think it's possible that you could pull off a memory thing from a, um, 
uh, F35 and just run it to a bunch of hard drives on your Mac yeah. and then use that. So if, if I don't have that as an option anymore, what's my next option? My next option after that is what? And the answer for Sony is an SR deck. You turn an SR deck into your mega data recording device, be it in video or data mode, mm-hmm. and that becomes the hub for then storing stuff. So when you want to archive your SR footage, you archive all your SR footage by simply taking the SR tape out and sticking it on the shelf. Yep. Whereas in a red world, you'd say, ah, well, it's all on hard drives. That's not very safe. I'll yep. back it up to LTO. My agenda comes from wanting to have cameras that are small, lightweight, uh, let me overcrank, and uh, will basically not have a huge 50,000 cables the size of a baby's arm coming out of the back of it, feeding to something that costs $100,000, which someone has, some grip has to lug in his backpack. And then when I've all done with it, we walk out with a tape that basically most post houses scratch their heads and, ba- and want to in, you know, send it off to Big Blue or something to be able to get this thing encoded into something I can use. I just want something that's small, that's not going to keep the camera sizes down, keep them usable, keep them simple, which was obviously part of the pain for Genesis in the early days before they invented this SSR, the solid state recorder, was keeping the camera small and simple and not having all these umbilicals everywhere and also then not having, and having a format that when you finish with, post houses know what to do with and can afford to have something that actually can read it and get this data to my editor. Okay, so I'm in, I'm in, um, I'm in uh, speaking on behalf of Sony mode, yeah? So can I just, I'll finish speaking on behalf of Sony and then I'll go to Mike Seymour's opinion. Okay. But I, from what you just said, yeah, that Sony would say, well, if you're shooting with an F35 and using our top-end gear then the cameras are costing hundreds of thousands of dollars and it's yep. a professional setup and you're doing episodic television mm-hmm. and we're basically wanting to, to be the high-end, hardcore, robust, bulletproof, don't upgrade the bloody firmware in the field because you don't work like that yep. tool and we'll record to memory. And then when you come back, you give out your data to an SR tape deck, which is our storage device, and it has it's like a super twice real time LTO device that is robust with tape technology. Tape sits really well on the shelf. It's really good for cataloging. It's really good for everybody understands tape, videotape. It's a great format. And then later you'll run it out of that into uh, some other device like an Avid, and you'll edit it and stuff. And you can come back to the master, and we're the robust guys, and we work bulletproof time in time again which is why most episodic television shows yeah. that are shooting on digital don't shoot on red shoot with our stuff yeah and don't shoot Piss genesis as well playing. they'll shoot they'll shoot f35 or so. 23 yeah. yeah okay now let me put my mike seymour hat on for a second and say the trouble with all of this is that for it is a very expensive professional solution it's like everything jacks up with a zero on the end of it. You know what I mean? Like the camera's really expensive, the decks are really expensive, even the tape stock is still pretty expensive yeah, even if they reduce yeah. to 10 15%. But I can't deny that if you have money is no object, this is a robust system. Oh, the other problem with it, from my point of view, is it doesn't record 4K and doesn't do the things that I want to do, like have shoot raw files. But for a bunch of people, this is, if money's no object, this is definitely a very robust, solid way to go. And... Their attitude is, instead of scrimping on money, we're going to make our stuff the Hummer version, right? The yeah. tough version, the big version, the ballsy version, and we'll give you PL mount lenses now on the um, 
F35 and we'll record in this big gutsy format and it'll all be robust and you'll be able to work. And <clears throat> and you can't argue to a certain extent with that uh, unless you get to the money. If money is no object, then, you know, now... At a, well, it's usually not too much of a barrier when you, in, in, in the rental world, in the car, camera you rent. Yeah, it's never really because, an issue. They would argue we have better uh, latitude than a red camera. Where, For the moment. Well, okay, but I'm just I'm saying yep. they would argue. Yep. Yeah. Because no, but I, think it's, yeah. I think this is a really yep. good discussion. Yep. And they have uh, a workflow that's proven and they have backup solutions that are proven and it's easy and people understand it. Yeah. And my attitude is personally slightly different to that. I think, well, that's sort of a, you're bending the format a bit now. Obviously, that's good. You're moving. But yep. I say that the the quantum leap that Red has done to just go data in the first place is a much more interesting long-term proposition for me. Mm. And quite frankly, that's why I love you know Epic because I think Epic is uh, already 5K on, and above. It has... A lot of these other things and once some of the stuff matures with the red stuff especially with epic once mm. it matures mm. um you'll have a completely alternate valid um proposition but it's no exaggeration to use the analogy that sony is microsoft and red is apple <laughs> do you know what i mean that's yeah. what it is yeah and you're going to end up i think with the the fanboys the wrong term but enthusiasts that see the merit in being as flexible and yeah. as and as responsive and as uh, able to be nimble as Red is. Yep. And you'll see the big corporations who play it for safety and, you know, Sony have service offices around the world. Oh, I mean, absolutely. if you were setting up in uh, a country like Sydney, for example, right, there's no Red office here. Yeah. Now, I'm not no. saying that Red sucks. I'm absolutely not saying that. But I'm just trying to give a perspective, uh, another point of view, on why someone might go with a Sony yeah. solution. On a big production, it Channel is considered 9, a risk. There is no doubt. Your Channel 9, the, you're a big corporation absolutely. or a big TV channel, and you want to set up an episodic uh, drama that's you know, maybe 13, 14 eps. You want to have a digital production. You want yep. to be hardcore. You've got a bunch of engineers that understand this stuff. You've got millions of tape ops, tape rooms, tape library systems. It's all in place. Mm. How do I put red into this environment? I think I'll just go with this only solution. I mean, I, I that's right. I mean, the red, if you bother to think about it, and people put the energy into it, can simplify an awful lot of that whole tape op kind of rubbish. But yes, at the moment, that is absolutely the robust. You know, know it's going to work kind of. People know it, and it fits in more fits into the you know current mindsets and workflow th- than Red does. But you know, obviously that, you know, that, that, that will change. No, I want to buy an Epic. You know, because yeah, I'm, I'm of the of course, and I use a Mac. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm that kind of guy. Yeah. Hey, um, the other thing that's really interesting is the Panasonic play on this, right? Because if you if you like, before there was Red, there was P2, and P2 was yeah. you know cards in cameras, not tape drives. It was the first big step. Um, Red did not invent data recording. And Red revolutionized it and made it much more accessible to a wider audience. But the P2 camera is a kick-ass camera. Yeah. With, uh, albeit quite expensive, you know, car- This is, yeah, that, um, that, this, you know, Scarlet, two-thirds Scarlet, which I, you know, I've, I'm having poo-pooing it guilt from last episode that, you know, <laughs> it's just not for me. But that is going to be the next P2, the next 
killer generation for people who, who work in that arena okay. and, and use P2, use so, P2 and HVX 200. So let's look at the digital landscape. You've got the SR2, that's Sony's solution, right? It's almost now you can put it to bed that Sony's going to go to NAB and launch a red killer. That's just yeah. not going to happen, right? This is clearly where they're going. They know this well and they'll, they'll do this solidly. Okay, then you've got, we've discussed before, Canon clearly could produce a red killer if the video division of Canon woke up and did something because the stills guys are stumbling into it and being applauded and there's no way that Canon hasn't noticed the the response. So if you're in the video division, you'd be like, why are the stills guys over there getting all this bloody success? I'm, I'm, I'm entirely confident that that is happening right now and we will see shortly, you know. So the fourth player in this is Panasonic and, and, uh, and we haven't seen their cards yet. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like the, of the what ones going to What is going to be their exactly. P2 Mark Last year at NAB, I was stunned that there was nothing there to, comparable to red. That, yep. That they looked almost like they were ignoring it 100%. Yeah. So you've got Sony's answer. We think Canon's doing something, and they'll see that at NAB. We know what red's doing, though they'll obviously add some more bells and whistles before they're done. Yeah. Panasonic's the next big player. I'm, Definitely. I'm pretty You're sure right. there's not anybody else out there that's going to knock us out. Maybe Nikon, I don't know, but generally I think those are going to be the four players. And and I think it's going to be really interesting come next year to see how Panasonic answers this because they've got to be looking um, to decide whether they're going to go... Because they could go either way, right? They, they, P2 could be completely valid to go into a red data zone yep. and say, let's forget tape, let's jump it. Or they could go the Sony route and say, hey, let's, let's not walk away from tape and try and build on their already pretty existing um, mm. space. I think Panasonic's now the interesting company to watch, not because they're necessarily going to knock anyone out of the park, but they are the next play. They're the only company you haven't seen their cards from. Yeah, absolutely. They're going to have to really come up with something because when Scarlet... Scarlet is going to be the next, particularly if they're going to, people are going to be able to, you know, for whatever, three grand, going to be able to get, for whatever, half the price of an HVX 200 or however much they are, you would know owning a few of those. And they're fixed lensed. Yeah. Well, true. It's exactly, it's, 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 it's a complete head-on competitor for that, for that Small thing. Small sensor. Yep. It's, it, I mean, it has great things. It has XLR that you can actually plug an XLR cable into. It yeah. has, you know, yeah. all sorts yeah. of interesting Absolutely. things like autofocus. Yeah. But, yeah, absolutely. So, so I think the shootout, which is why I'm so enthusiastic you're coming to Vegas with us in uh, NAB, because hey, me too. the play out between Canon, mm. Epic, or, okay, Red, Canon, Ep, and Sony with this stuff, and then what Panasonic's going to do. Has this not been, since we started doing this podcast, has this not been the most amazing freaking whatever, two, two years of, uh, like, exponential shitstorm war of fantastic Awesome. All for us, you know. All awesome. for all for all for the for the end consumer. This absolute revolution. It's just kind of cool that we kind of kicked it off right as it kind of started. But who you know who knew about you know five D Mark Two and then no doubt you know five D Mark Three is going to do is going to go one ahead of seven D. Nikon's clearly dragging their heels. Maybe that they have to they have to answer the five D Mark Two thing. It's going to be it's it's exciting times. I, I so want a one D S. Full sensor one D. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. I, c- I couldn't agree with you more. It's been, uh, it look, you know, living interesting times. It's, yeah, uh, yeah, it's magnificent. All right, so I've, awesome. I've bent our um, schedule to hell, and that's the show. Thank you very much. 
Not quite. Let's this, it'll be back. a long one. Let's yeah. I'm going to stop talking now. Let's you pick <laughs> us up on the red news. Well, you're going to have to help me on a few of these, particularly the next one, which is uh, red-related, uh, is Build 21 firmware, which has been a bit, uh, you know, mercurial, shall we say. Build 21 came out uh, and was obviously was sitting there in beta release for a while and then went to uh, final release build, uh, 21.3.2, which uh, I don't think you guys had any issues with, but it was basically pulled from release and went back to uh, a beta build to try and fix a few issues. Uh, I think it was... uh, I don't think there was anything absolutely production disastrous, but I think there's a few sort of menu issues and... and, uh, Well, I heard that actually some people had their cameras bricked by doing the upgrade. That's why they pulled it. Okay, well... That is disastrous. Un, that is an unconfirmed... Bricked is bad. I've never heard of bricked in, I, uh, in the is, red world. That is but, goss, uh, but I have yeah. heard of people having real problems with their upgrades. Okay, that is that and is pretty serious. Well, I'm surprised then that we didn't hear there wasn't like... It, I just kind of noticed through the, maybe the odd tweet or just looking you know, in, in research for the show, just found out, well, hang on, where did Build 21 go? There was not... If it was that serious... There was not, I've got to say, there was not really much of a much, noise from the red. But I don't red. think it was common. I, think I don't think like, anyone was yeah, emailed. I don't, think, I don't think red users really got an email. or I mean, red, red owners got too much of an update. I don't mm, know. We got anyway, an email look, saying look, we I, back I, I, up. But we, we yep. went back a version, and now we've gone back um, forward again, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, so basically, obviously, there's been, they've essentially, we've gone from beta build to 21.4.1 to now that 21.4.1 is now the uh, release build. So we're back back to 21. A um, few little bug fixes here and there, not an awful lot. Um, one of the minor things that I thought was interesting was you can adjust the opacity of the look around area. So you can make that darken that off or make it uh, lighter, make it completely 100% clear so you just got markings. So you can sort of dim down the look around and get a really much better idea of your framing. But, hey, that's, that, that's just me. There's a lot of other geeky stuff in here. That um, The shutter phase, you can now control it in 5 degrees. And it's, it's gone from 5-degree control to 1-degree control. Tiny little things, as usual. But... Um, uh, sounds like hopefully uh, bricking will not be uh, a design byproduct of uh, build the new build twenty one. No, no, the new one is rock yeah, steady. Exactly. Cool. I'm sure. I'm sure. Absolutely. This one's totally, totally tested. Um, so red dot com slash support and uh, uh, yeah, go update. Oh well, that's your choice. I keep saying there's no possible reason. It's now it's now release build. There should be no reason why you are not shooting on build twenty one. But but it's they pulled it. They solved it. They're back. Yep, absolutely. You know? So all good. Onwards. Uh, uh, new Red Pro Prime, Red Pro Prime uh, announced eighteen mil, which looks really nice. Yeah, the prices on these things are sensational. It, it right? is astounding because I was actually looking at some second hand. Uh, like a second second hand sets of uh, not for me personally to buy, but just out of interest, of like a second hand set of uh, Cook S fours. Uh, can it's hundreds, you know, hundred like one hundred thirty thousand dollars for just a regular set of say four or so Cooks. This is second hand. Um, now, so theoretically, you can okay. I'll jump to the eighteen mil. So the eighteen mil is one point eight, like a lot of the other primes. Uh, the production run starts uh, the beginning of the year, January first, two thousand ten. Uh, mass productions really kicks in around February. Uh, it will cover the 5K sensors. I'm still trying to get my head around what a 5K sensor is and, and what sort of, you know, um, what, why that's a different image circle to other sensors. You know, if we're talking Super 35, why isn't it 
just super 35 anyway that's another hole rat hole um it's just in its final uh, round of testing but essentially it's 3800 bucks if you've already got a, a set of red primes and 4250 for non red prime owners so basically for 22800 bucks you can get a six you can get six primes which you know optically can totally hold their own with with cook s4s you can go from 18 mil to 100 mil that's six lenses and uh, yeah, for twenty for twenty two grand, it, it, would that if if all you had on say moving day was that, and you're not shooting anamorphic, yes, clothes, would that be enough? Or would you absolutely need that, yeah. that would be it? Yeah, if I was going to say was the lens kit, and you actually out, no, be... I'd say then what they need to add is one three five. I my standard or my basically my package. If I I could almost tackle any job, if you went from say eighteen mil to one three five. So if, so I think yeah, one three five mil red pro prime, and you can you can have a a, a full that 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 will really tackle. Most things, obviously, it depends on you know everyone's shooting style. But yeah, for me, definitely most most uh, unless I've got a one three five up the tight end, I'm not quite feel like I'm I'm covered. Um, but eighteen mil certainly you know perfectly is is a great at the wide end. Um, I shoot tomorrow. I think I've, we're starting. We've got ten. We've got specific stuff, specific angles to cover. So I've got a ten point five Zeiss and fourteen mils. But yeah, most of the time eighteen mil is. What you shooting tomorrow? I'm shooting TV commercial for a bank. <laughs> That's why. Why look like that? That's, That's brilliant. Exact, well, look after That's watching great. after watching Avatar, the idea, uh, dude, uh, the, the idea, uh, seriously, the idea of going no. out and shooting a TVC for a bank. Okay, back up for just, a second. In this country, the our banks are a incredibly stable, b huge, yep, and c premium blue chip accounts. Yep. So Absolutely. Yeah. So no. I was listening to this, I'm thinking our oh, bank ad, but in this country, a bank ad is like a major car ad. You don't get yeah. picked as the director for that unless everybody's got a lot of confidence. They've done three spots over three days, and they're also shooting, you know, uh, other other spots and other three spots with another director in another state for the same brand, same company, you know, for three whole another three days. So you know that the the yeah, banks have got some, you know, they've got some money. It's yes, it's uh, look, you know, absolutely. I'm just, it's hard to. Look up on any other, you know. It's it's hard to sort of hold your head up high after. I'm still coming down off the the, the Cameron induced uh, um, brain fog that uh, that um, Avatar was twice running. Anyway, I'm I'm sure I'll get over it. Okay, uh, let's see what's next. Um, there's a red day at um, in, in LA. For um, obviously for pre-nab or those not going to nab, you can uh, have a chance to see the Epic and Scarlet prototypes hands-on, um, and and obviously we're screening some red footage at. Uh, I'm just trying to work out where this is happening. Uh, it's in LA and on February 13th. So there's links in the show notes. Uh, it, but it's an undisclosed location at this stage. I, I think. think they have actually said. But I they have actually said. Okay. <laughs> well, if you can f- follow the links in the show notes, um, and and that, so typically, yeah, if you're not going to NAB, um, you'll be able to get your hands on on Epic and Scarlet prototypes, and uh, they'll be showing uh, 4K footage on Sony 4K uh, projector, and uh, there'll be several other guests uh, with post solutions and accessories and stuff. So yeah. Uh, check that link in the show notes for details. So that's uh, mid-feb. Uh, what else we got? Okay, Berger mounts. Now, 
Virgin mounts have been a bit a bit of a, a stickler for me. I found it very hard to find, as a lot of people who have actually pre-ordered these uh, Virgin mounts. Basically, Virgin, Virgin Engineering created a Nikon mount uh, for the Red, which was a really impressive piece of kit. And um, Rodney Charters, who we've had on the show before, he had one of those. He took one of these uh, mounts around the world, and he had you know great success with it, being able to use uh, EOS. Uh, electronic uh, Canon lenses, and uh, uh, I think it's is it Canon, and do they do a Nikon version? I can't remember. Anyway, it's basically it's Bluetooth Bluetooth iris control for electronic iris lenses. Um, but uh, the issue now with this uh, mount is that uh, effective twenty around sort of twentieth November. Uh, Red have said that they'll be no longer uh, allowing customers to remove the red lens mount and replace it with a Berger mount. Uh, on the red one, uh, and any red customer that modifies their red one with the Berger mount will void the warranty. Uh, and uh, obviously, those who have have existing Berger mounts, and you know, prior to this announcement, then obviously your warranty is still intact. But basically, saying going forward, install one of these mounts at your peril, and you'll void your warranty. And although it's not said in so many words, possibly that may uh, void your uh, ability to execute your serial number to uh, go to Epic, maybe. I'm I'm a bit surprised about that actually. Mm. Um, I know if you've you know you've already registered that you've changed it, that they're not going to beat you up about it. But do you get the feeling there's more to this than, than Absol- we're hearing? Yeah, absolutely. Look, there, clearly there's there's either been. I mean, Red have never ha- been like Apple esque in their shutting down of anybody who's done and you know third party stuff it's all in their eyes has been for you know all for good promoting you know getting getting get letting red owners get what they want out of their camera uh obviously they've got a licensing program for you know which is in place but you know this kind of stuff has never really been an issue so there's obviously something going on maybe you know there's been i know I've, i have heard of a few people having issues with the mounts and technically uh you know getting one of these and updating firmware on the mounts and essentially bricking the mount and not being able to go forward or back in terms of for firmware and not being able to communicate with wireless gear so but that's obviously a problem just with the mount and the mount that's not affecting the camera so maybe there's some of them you know obviously I'll, if you know something more really why this mount has uh you know triggered such a reaction um then then give us a buzz um uh, anyway so uh, they're obviously they're still selling them out, so you can still order them. But uh, you know, take, that's to be obviously um, ordered with a bit of a pinch of salt there. Right. What else we got? Um, oh, look, I just wanted to touch on a few other little roundups from from our last um, episode, obviously, which was the November thirty um, announcements. Now, there's a couple of really good pages uh, basically doing a roundup of all the details, all of the the information we have to hand in terms of the specs of uh, lenses and accessories. And um, a couple... so thanks to Piers Cook and Justin O'Neill who've done a couple of roundup pages on Red User. Links to those are in uh, on the show notes again. But uh, a couple of little highlights and things I just minor little little points of of the gear that I've that I've uh, that have sort of come to light since those I guess. This uh, the bomb EVF right, which is da bomb. A, a bomb. There's been a bit of sort of issue about calling it the bomb and uh, having bomb engraved on the side of the thing. So when um, 
you know, um, customs inspectors and uh, NTSB open the uh, open the uh, Pelican case and see something with bomb written on it. Uh, perhaps that this isn't the, the best idea. But basically, Red said, "No, nah, we love the name. Just use stick some gaffer tape on it, and you'll be right." Um, but technically, uh, one interesting thing is that it's actually going to have an inbuilt heater in in in, in the bomb EVF. Uh, which is terrific. Obviously, you know, batteries, you can keep those warm. You can put those in your pa- pockets. You can keep them in the backpack. But obviously, the viewfinder is right out there in the cold if you're working in extreme cold. And that, apart from batteries, is one of the first things that will actually pack up and LCDs will pack up in the cold because, you know, the crystal, the liquid, you know, essentially liquid crystal display, there's a liquid in there and it will actually get gluggy and it will, will start to, you know, pack up probably electronically as well as uh, physically. So, um Having a uh, a heater in there is is a brilliant idea for Ari. You have to rent that as a, or buy that as a separate item and clip it on the viewfinder, so that basically when you put your warm eye on a cold viewfinder, you don't immediately fog the whole thing up. And or if you've got a long take, your eye can you know fog up the finder. So it's a great not just for you know going up scaling Everest. This and then is, I'm just laughing because it was 36 degrees centigrade here in yeah, Sydney yesterday. That's right. It was so hot. That's right. But still, you know, even with that, if, if you've got a long take and you've got your eye to the finder, you can really can, can fog up um, your finder quite quickly. So this is a great thing this is in, included. It may be accidental design byproduct that the viewfinder itself makes so much heat that it, we'll call it a heater. I don't know. But um, And Panavision itself as well, you've got to have extra cables and plug these things in to, to plug oh, in the heaters. I thought the Panavision was integrated. It is integrated, but it's not powered so you actually ah. have to run a cable from the body camera body to to the, the thing um so yeah it's good to have it all plugged in and and, and that's a yeah, minor thing but hey uh now red code 100 um i think i think there was they weren't quite sure but now obviously red code 100 is now is included in the two-thirds inch scarlets um but i think you'll you will need to use the ssd module to be able to use Red Coder 100. Now, I don't know whether many people are going to be, how many people are going to be keen on Red Coder 100 and what... I think you could be very keen on it if you want to get very high frame rates at very high resolutions. Right, so this 180, 150 frame burst mode perhaps will be... requires that to get SSD. Okay, so theoretically, yes, you need to have SSD. Uh, obviously, all the other... Uh, that, that's, by the way, an unsubstantiated guess. Yes, yeah, okay. absolutely. Yeah, okay. So if these higher frame rates... Mm, see, I don't know. anyway, all will be revealed, I'm sure, as, as we start to sort of get closer to... <laughs> as we to actually re- get one. <laughs> as, as, as they physically actually become more than um, just announcements. Uh, Red Code 42, of course, will run on all media, CF cards, whatever, uh, our existing red drives. Um, the fixed lens, uh, one of the things people have been asking is with the fixed lens scarlet, what's the speed of the lens? It has been announced that it is T2.6, which is, you know, which is good for a zoom because a lot of the time, particularly with inbuilt zooms on cameras, the, the, and, you know, you'll get that with your, your still kit lens that it's, it'll have a variable, um, iris that, you know, the wide end and the tight end, you'll always have a, you know, the lens will kind of get slower as you zoom in. Um, 2.6 is good. 2.6 is good for you zoom. shallow depth of field because it's, a smaller no that's well, right the same shallow you, field, yes it'll help exactly. with 800 iso exactly is right. exactly if you want to get wider than that if you want to get to start to really try and make your two thirds inch sensor give depth of field you know similar to um you know start to use really fast lenses to try and get as much of that 35 mil look with a two thirds inch sensor you're probably best to start looking at the um interchangeable lens two thirds inch uh, scarlets 
um, because basically, yeah, 2.6 is going to be the widest you're going to be able to get open, which is still going to get you some nice depth of field. You know, a lot of a lot of zooms are, are that that's that's the speed. I don't know what speed your HVX 200 is, but um, you know, obviously that's quite hard to get. <laughs> no, that's why you're laughing at me. Well, actually, I, let me just explain what's what's happening here. In the, I, I, we need to move on because I know. But yeah, basically, I knew you were going to ask me that question. I didn't have that answer. Okay. So before you'd even asked it, yeah, I chatted it Jim. to somebody right. to get that answer, and you managed to ask me. I knew you were going to ask me that question, and I he didn't respond in time for me to have that. Otherwise, it would have been so slick. I would have been beautiful. Well, Jace, you, gotta, you might have to share me on your iChat back channel, so I can. You might have to. <laughs> so uh, yeah. So, so uh, somebody will know what the f-stop or a uh, p2 is. Yeah. Anyway, but that's a slight. That's one third inch chip, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it is a. Yeah. Um, so it's, you're never going to get anywhere near it. Um, okay. <laughs> Uh, now, a little bit more um, uh, information is coming out on TapTap Focus and the sort of touch touch focus uh, system. Um, basically, what we've heard is you can touch the focus lock. So basically, if you're seeing a fa- if you're seeing a face uh, on screen, if your subject has a if your subject has a face, which is always nice, you're going <laughs> to you're going to be able to touch that touch their face, and basically, obviously, uh, it's going to basically track that face and, and stick on there as much as it can until it loses its track. Uh, of not obviously, you can always just go with any other focus point, and it'll you know track that. So um, yeah, you can obviously be able to use that on an epic. Now that's this is the this is the 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 little gem of information here that I'm I'm sure that the touch focus is going to possibly be play in Scarlet, but this tracking is going to be more of an epic um, domain, and uh, you're going to be able to obviously then pull focus and have the camera pull focus for you on, on the Nikon and Canon electronic lenses and the red electronic lenses. Um, Excuse me, Jace. Yes. F1.7. F1.7. Thank you very much. <laughs> That, that hardly took any time at all. Okay, thanks. <laughs> okay, now the GPS and motion sensor, this is probably going to be interesting, close to your heart maybe, mm. Mike, is that uh, the 3-axis accelerometer, accelerometer data is captured for every frame, uh, which I guess this is probably what we're expecting, I guess, but uh, you'll be able to extract the camera's 3D orientation and have that on a frame-by-frame basis uh, as part of the um, uh, embedded in the R3D, I guess. Yes, as part of the metadata. Yep, and so it's obviously it's time, location, the time of day and location data will all be GPS. The only thing about GPS. GPS is we want to see how yeah we want to see how accurate. I mean, yeah. GPS is great from a helicopter. Yep. But how accurate on the ground is because GPS theoretically, unless you're military, is only plus or minus meters, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, but anyway, yeah, it's still good. Yeah, and time of day. Oh, well, theoretically, imagine I guess you combine that with an app that shows you because you know on your iPhone you can walk around and it shows you where you've been. Imagine yeah. You had your right. studios. And all the major studios in the world are previsd, mm. um, and it would show you where in the studio you pretty much were. How I'd like the GPS to work would be um, that's terrific. Yep, great, all that stuff, terrific. <laughs> but but just literally in the last month, there has been an absolute glut of stolen red ones. Now they've finally put a sticky um, a sticky link on a red user for you know listing all these cameras and there's a f- there's only a few on there at the moment but slowly as people realize that sticky is there they'll p- update it but literally in the last month or so there's been like a two or three listings a week almost of of stolen cameras there's been you know a few a month go 
maybe it's maybe people people are just those last minute Christmas present or, rush, or, or rush for presents. I don't think I'm going to be trading my. Oh, somebody nicked it. God, <laughs> Epic's coming out. Um, insurance company. I oh, somebody stole yes, my camera. That's right. I left it in Vegas in my. You know, I was right here when I turned I left around it on the passenger and then it was seat. Just gone. Yeah, yeah. Hey, we're running really super long on time, so we are. I'm going to stop teasing you and wasting your time. Okay, okay. Because we got the interview and you've got some amazing new product gear. We do. I've got a couple of them and uh, mm, we, might, we might skip a couple of them. For, for, I might drop one. That's okay. Um, now, the first one is I've been banging on about, which doesn't quite thrill your So uh, before you get to equipment, I've got one more news item that wasn't there. Yep, okay. No, it's, it's significant. Mm. Uh, Apple has released the Canon 7D RAW. Right. So if you are on a 7D, you can now download that. It's an automatic download as part of your thing and then you'll be able to, for example, open up 7D RAW files in This Aperture. is significant. You're correct. And that it's, has oh my god, so and maybe so and great. others, isn't it? Oh yeah, yeah, it's yeah. The it's 1D, a few other. It's a bunch of them. No, no, it's a, yeah. There's a bunch of them, but it just so happened that um, that I have a seven D here right now, and was that's what I was uh, right getting all enthusiastic about. Yes, excellent. Are. Now, well, that does that come through on just software update? Yeah. So if you okay. do a software update, it'll list it as uh, this is what you need to do to upgrade your excellent. thing. Blah blah blah. That's tiny. Yeah. You know, it's I, actually I think that's about right. There's always been a bit of delay from same. I think with the five D, there's always there was like a month or so delay from five D coming out to um, actually you know the raw, the raw, the raw implementation. But I mean, quite through. seriously, I photographed you on set a lot, mm. for, uh, or rather your production for Moving Day. Yeah. On the seven D, I've been able to work with the JPEGs, haven't been able to touch the raws. Been sitting there just. There's a beta for Adobe for Lightroom, mm-hmm. but now there's the release for, for um, Aperture, which is what you're on. And not just that, but just on your desktop when you're scrolling through, it'll show you the, you know, small picture of it. Yeah, because uh, they just come up with blank, just blanks. Yeah, yeah the the uh, thumbnails and stuff. So that is awesome. That is awesome. Sorry. Okay. Now, One last little tiny bit on the red on the red uh, um, news was uh, Redlink. They were talking more about what is Redlink and what is this wireless protocol for the Red Redmote Pros and all that sort of stuff. Basically, it is it is a I guess a subset or a, a derivation of, of Wi-Fi. It is on the similar frequency, but it is significantly uh, greater range than than 802. You know, essentially Wi-Fi frequencies. So. Um, it's not Wi-Fi per se. It will be uh, uh, Wi-Fi on steroids, so okay. much much greater range. So that'll be good if you've got some really big cranes, or you know. Well, before we get to our gear for this yep. week, which I think is really interesting, let's go and do the uh, give everyone a break from our voices. Uh, your amazing interview with uh, Eric, because I really enjoyed this, um, and uh, with Oliver, right? Yeah, with all the Timler. Yeah, as I say, he's tech support for. So he's in. He's he's uh, on on the ground helping develop his cameras and get them ready. He was there, I believe. He was there at IBC where they had the prototypes mm-hmm. with the. Uh, yep, and he will be at NAB, so we'll be able to call NAB him at NAB and have a uh, a good chat with him there. And obviously, he will be. They will be showing. They will have uh, something more than the you know metal square you know box that looks like something that was attached to a lunar module uh, in the seventies. They're going to have uh, you know theoretically. More than a phantom. Yeah, so obviously we're we're touching on the on the AEV um, and the AOV, which is as he touches, as he says is only working titles for the Ari's new digital range of cameras. Well, let's cross um, to this previously recorded interview that Jason did with Oliver from America, uh, from Germany or America? From it? Munich. From Munich. Sorry. Well, look, thanks, Oliver, for taking your time today. I really appreciate it. I'm sure you're very busy guys over there at the moment. 
Oh, yeah, a little bit, but thanks for inviting me anyway. <laughs> uh, look, well, clearly you've listened to the market's feedback on the D20 and the D21. What do you know of that customers really wanted to improve from the D21? And likewise, what did they insist that you really don't change? What, what's been most important to our customers so far has always been, uh, well, the airy look and, and feel of the cameras, basically. They wanted to have a very durable system they can depend on, and uh, that's that's for certain something they did not want us to change for a new camera series. Um, some of them still um, preferred to use an optical viewfinder, so they also didn't want that to change. What they did want to change is um, mostly sensitivity and the overall dynamic range of a digital camera system, because currently no digital camera can really match um, match the dynamic range of, of film in a single exposure. Uh, resolution was not the prime interest from our, from what we got, mostly because, um, well, 4K is not really uh, an option for most productions out there. Most of them are uh, finishing in, in 2K, or if they're shooting for, for television, they're only doing it in, in HD, uh, which uh, which is good enough, uh, in our opinion as well, for uh, for a real cinema experience. Well, look, give us an overview of the camera range as you see it and some of the technologies we can expect to see at work. Well, unfortunately, we don't have a name for the for the cameras yet, so you, you probably noticed that they're only named A, E, V, A, O, V. So that's A is uh, kind of, we had an internal code name here, it was Alexa, which is not going to be the name of the camera, I hope. Oh, um, they were nice. <laughs> Alexa, yeah. <laughs> they were designed for uh, television. Uh, commercials and feature film work, but not really designed for, for news work or ENG. They all share the, the new LF3 sensor. It's a, a 35 format CMOS sensor, and that's actually why it's not a good lens for ENG right there, because you have the same depth of field um, that you would expect from a 35 millimeter film. Um, the sensors are 3.5K wide and all have uh, exposure index or ISO equivalent of approximately 800. All three cameras currently are supposed to run 1 to 60 frames per second. Um, well, and then we have the three models. The AAV is going to be a 16 by 9 HD camera only with an electronic viewfinder. The EVS is also going to be 16 by 9 HD with additional Airy RAW output, also electronic viewfinder and integrated uh, wireless remote system and lens data system. So you can control focus iris and if you have a zoom lens, also the zoom with a remote control and have uh, feedback from the lens, um, basically what the settings are for iris and, and uh, focus and so on. And then the third model is going to be uh, the AOV, which is going to be a 4x3 camera, um, also with HD output or Airy RAW output. Um, because it's a 4x3 camera, it's going to offer anamorphic lenses. Obviously, it's going to have an optical viewfinder and also integrated lens data system. If I can touch on the dynamic range before we move on, is there any specific specs or anything we can say at the moment in terms of stops or in terms of the dynamic range? I don't know if you've seen the demo we, we were showing at the IBC. We were screening a demo that we shot just a few days before IBC, actually. Um, um, we, for that, we had a portable breadboard, which is just like a silver box with a lens on it. It has the sensor inside. And, and we did uh, some initial testing with that. Um, and we achieved approximately 12 stops of dynamic range. Impressive. 
that's a little bit more than what we get from the from the D twenty one, obviously. Yeah, because obviously the specs are one thing. It's it's another thing to actually physically really be able to have the, that shadow detail or highlight detail um, in there to be able to rescue an underexposed shot or give yourself the ability to underexpose something on, on purpose because you've got high highlights. So I believe you've got some quite noise-free pictures. Yeah, we have a very low noise level. And that's that's especially because it's. Uh, I mean, the, the L3, the new sensor, is a completely new sensor layout. So the D21 basically had uh, what is a predecessor, the L2, and now the three is a is a completely new sensor design where we use uh, a dual gain path, I think they call it. Um, so we we get the the readout from every pixel, and before we send that to the analog digital conversion, it's basically split in two paths. One gets a um, a high amount of gain. That's for the shadow detail. And one gets a very low amount of gain. That's for the highlight detail. And those, well, these two readouts we generate, they're, they're sent through the, the analog digital converters. And then they're combined to, uh, to give you one full 16-bit image. Right. So it's a 14-bit ADC, and we use always the most significant parts of, of, of these signals to, to combine it to a 16-bit image. And that's, that's why we get much more dynamic range out of the system. Okay, so the low end of, uh, of the spectrum camera-wise doesn't do ARRI mm. RAW and only does HD mode, I guess. Is that right? Right. The, the EV version only has HD mode. Well, the way this 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 camera is thought to be is going to be um, for for very fast turnaround. So you can actually shoot. You have a broadcast ready signal that you can um, just go to editing with. You know, edit it straight away. Don't have to spend too much time on grading to make it look just right. Maybe you know, if you want to apply some grading, then it's just to give you give your production a certain look. But this the EV model is really intended to give you a camera that'll let you. Um, very quickly get your production chain um, from start to the end. Absolutely. It's a great idea, and there's definitely a market for that. So how does that camera in particular record its data? And I mean, can you still record on board, and, uh, and what is the codec? Um, yes, you can record on board. Uh, the camera will have uh, an HD output. The, all the cameras will have the, the HD SDI outputs just like the D21. That means that we're also going to have... Uh, the Airy Raw T-Link output, we, we use that for the D21 right now. So you can also use uh, that output to record with the recorders we have right now. So Kaisoku Geeken S2 Codex recorders. Um, these companies, they, offer, um, they all offer raw recording, for example. And these will also be compatible with the, with the new cameras. Everything that's that's going to be um, built by us at this stage, I cannot really say anything. I'm sorry. <laughs> One of the features our, our um, customers definitely wanted to have in, in an electronic viewfinder as well, and uh, then the picture you get from for an HD output would actually be 2880 by 1620. That's the same uh, amount of pixels you have on a D21. So that's a that's a 1.5 times. Um, oversampled HD uh, image, basically. Um, if we generate a 2K output on the on the new cameras, we could use a true 3K, so 3072 by 17 something, 1728 or something. Uh, we can use a, a slightly bigger image to also give you 1.5K oversampling. So that would also be possible. So in that way, it's not true 3.5K you're actually using for capture. Uh, but it's more a 3K sensor you're using for capture, whereas the, the 0.5K that's, that's above it is for the, for the outside view. Uh, on the OV Plus, 
It's right. It's going to be a four by three sensor. I just want to sort of cover off the sensor size. The specs at this stage say that the uh, optical viewfinder version will have a, a four by three chip versus sixteen by nine chip. But is it actually the same chip, and you just used various parts of it, or the specifications for the for the OB version are not yet uh, fully fully in place, I guess. Um, but sure. basically, all three cameras use the same, or are supposed to use the same four by three sensor. Um, and I actually have the pixel count, so it's okay. uh, 3,392 by 2,200, which is, well, a slightly odd number, but that's mostly because of the, the outside uh, look that we, or look around, as you call it, that we provide for the sensor. Okay, I've, I've not actually uh, used the ARRI-RAW files before, but uh, is there a, a simple explanation of how they would fit in with, like, current workflows? Okay, well, you'd, you'd have to think of uh, ARRI-RAW files as um, some sort of digital camera negative you need to process ARRI RAW. Well, we have a, an ARRI RAW partnership program with uh, uh, several companies and they they support native ARRI RAW um, files. So what you can do is you can go into uh, Irida system, Irida Speedgrade for example, or Irida Frame Cycle and that system can load ARRI RAW frames and, and display them right away without any um, previous bearing or rendering so you record onto your data recorder it could be an s2 uh, or a codex or a case Geekin, for example um, you pull these frames these files off of the magazine um, then you send them into a software uh, as for example um, pomford silverstack silverstack um, can read all the raw files natively and generate uh, QuickTime proxies for your editing. You can embed timecode, you can apply lookup tables, everything you need. Then you get your um, offline editing EDL back. Um, you do uh, a batch conform, your area raw material from your archives, and then you load it into something like, uh, I don't know, for example, Avid Nitrous, which also supports area raw, and they can... Uh, then do the the onlining or the conform for you with this system. Only when you do the final output, then at that time you would need to to render the files into DPX files, for example, uh, so you could print them to film or you know output to tape or whatever you need. There is some similarities you could say to the other raw formats that we have. So, for example, Cineform that you get from the SI2K R3D, I believe, is uh, is always like a movie clip. So it's a packaged file with uh, several frames inside. So and the ARRI RAW files are, are, are uh, individual frames, and that needs to be processed so you get a so you get an RGB image. And also uh, another difference is that ARRI RAW is uh, completely uncompressed all the time, so we don't use any compression. Well, I'll jump back to the cameras for a couple more questions if I can. Take us through the EVFs because they're sounding pretty impressive. Of course, it's it's uh, the first electronic viewfinder that that Ari ever built. So, <laughs> the whole thing um, is built around a, a new uh, F Elcos. So I don't know what's it, ferroelectric liquid crystal on silicon display. Um, has an Ari LED backlight, uh, resolution of twelve eighty by seven twenty. We provide uh, overlay and zoom functions and a very low latency in the system. So we have, I believe, something like one frame uh, delay. 
which is which is quite fast in comparison to most HD viewfinders we have, which are more like three to five frames really? um, of a delay. It's actually not built with the prime intent to to give you the most pretty looking picture, but it's it's uh, it's made so it's very usable for the for the operator. You know, in in terms of focusing, we we uh, added the zoom function, and I think something like a peaking function will also be in there. And in uh, in terms of, of how it can be mounted on the camera, you can shift it around pretty much anywhere. Um, so you can use it with any type of lens and any matte box. Now, you touched on earlier the wireless functions of the camera. Uh, obviously, it will work with the wireless lens control devices that Ari already have and do a fantastic job on. Um, is there any other use for the wireless? Lens control, as you said, lens data system as well. We are planning on also doing all the, the camera remote controlling from uh, from our wireless units. So you'd be able to run, stop the camera, set your parameters, everything. So basically the, the, the wireless is supposed to be really a remote control for the camera entirely. Ari do a, a wealth of external controllers and uh, speed controllers and remote functions. Is it much of that going to be interoperable with the camera? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, um, currently we have the, the WRS2, uh, which is a touchscreen um, panel that you can use on the D21. You can use it on the 435 and the other cameras. Um, so that that can be used to program ramps and uh, and all that. So all these these uh, electronic accessories, well, most of them at least, are going to be um, compatible with the new system as well. Fabulous. So we we were always trying to to keep the compatibility uh, to compatibility um, to all our camera systems as much as as, as it's possible. Is there an onboard battery system, and if so, V lock or is it proprietary? Oof. From what I know, it's uh, it's a V-Log system. So yes, there is going to be an onboard battery system, uh, and the camera is actually going to be both uh, 12 or 24 volts. Now, onboard audio. Is there any onboard uh, audio for the camera? Mm, not that I know of. Maybe a stereo track, but not not really audio recording. No. You have an upgrade program for D20 and D21 owners. How does that work? Currently, you can buy, or we started an offer at IBC, so you can buy a D21 now. Because, I mean, the D20, uh, all D20s that were in the field were, are, are already updated to a D21. Right. So there's no more D20s around there. Okay. But, uh, no, for the current owners, there's no program or no upgrade program as far as I know. But for, for new customers, you can buy a D21 um, at... I believe ninety thousand euros right now, yep. and uh, as soon as the EV uh, becomes available, you can get that for an additional fifty thousand. So basically, for the same price that the D twenty one used to be, which is one hundred and forty thousand euros, you're now getting a D twenty one and a, a AEV. And once the uh, once the OV comes out you actually have the option to trade in uh, D21, the D21, and uh, I think pay some additional money, which is probably going to be, again, um, 50,000 euros. Um, and then you get the OV, get OV. in exchange for the, for the D21. How many D21s are there out there, do you know? We have um, just about 130 cameras out uh, in the world, worldwide. So will we see uh, any cameras or prototypes further from what we saw at IBC at uh, NAB next year? Um, yeah, we're going to show um, the prototypes 
for the AEV for sure. Uh, maybe already something on the AEV plus. Um, and uh, it's we're, we're planning to to actually have the first cameras available in June. So you're definitely going to see uh, a camera that's almost finished or that's already finished at NAB. Which will take me to that last question, which is about the rollout and the availability. If you can take us through when we're expecting to see the cameras and then essentially how people could place a pre-order and who might they talk to? Well, the, the expected pricing, I think you already mentioned in, in one of your previous podcasts, is going to be fifty to 100,000. So 50 is going to be the EV version. Uh, I don't exactly know what the EV Plus version will be. The EV, uh, the OV version will be 130,000. Um, the first camera, the EV Plus, uh, is expected to be available in September, and the OV is expected to be available in December next year. Well, to place a pre-order and who do they talk to, um, we have our website, uh, airy.com. Um, and that's where you can actually go to uh, contacts and, well, then you need to select what you're interested in. So in this case, it would be sales for camera and then you select your region. And um, if you do that for Australia, for example, you'd um, get a contact for Stefan Sedelmeier, who's uh, at Area Australia in the Sydney office. So Indeed, we know him well. You can just <laughs> yeah, call him up and uh, give him your orders. And also we have... Uh, a website that's specifically designed for our uh, digital cameras. That's AiriDigital.com. Just one word, AiriDigital, and that's where we always <clears throat> uh, put in updated information on the new camera systems. So you know you can also find out uh, on, for example, the onboard recording as soon as we have that information available for the public. Terrific. Again, thanks, Oliver. I really appreciate your time, particularly when you're so far out from launch, or actually not that far out from launch, really, when you talk about the earlier cameras. So, look, good luck with it, um, and we'll keep in touch, and uh, thanks for speaking today. It was great talking to you, and you have a good night. Same here. Same to you. Cheers, mate. Well, thanks for that, Jace. Actually, one of the things that I find amazing is, um, and, and I mean, take nothing away from Ari, because they're a brilliant company, but you know, 150 cameras was mentioned in the interview, right, on the uh, current cameras that they're... 130. 130, is it? Anyway, 130. But my point is, it's that order of magnitude, right? Yeah, I, that, the, um, I was amazed at that too. I, mean, I, would, I thought, I don't know, how many did you think? I, well, I if, you don't, if you'd stop to make me, you know, work that number out, I may have guessed something similar. But at first, sort of... Because, you know, there are, <laughs> there are like 10,000 5D Mark IIs alone sold in Australia... There's, you know, 4,000, really? yeah, there's 4,000 reds out there. There's, you know, I don't know how many, they ship like thousands of P2s a month. Yeah. Now, having said that, on the Genesis, there's only somewhere between three or 400 or something Genesis in the world. Is that right? Yeah, so I could okay. have guessed that there were less. I would have uh, said less Genesis. That's the number I would have probably put on the, on the D, D, D No, there was at least 350 when I was shooting with them two years ago, mm-hmm. more since then. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, so but having said that, it it is incredible these companies making these uh, technological investments for such a small camera run. Yeah, um, um, I, I mean it's no wonder they do obviously do cost a lot. Um, but I mean there's always that thing. Why well, if you could just make it for a little bit cheaper, then you'd sell a bit more and you'd sort of make the similar recoup and, similar costs. And but yet I'm the sure there's smart ways for having Ari in it. Uh, Absolutely, absolutely. Obviously, we have read in our title, but uh, you know that's just that was. We uh, have centre in our title. <laughs> that's true. 
<laughs> it's um, uh, obviously Ari is as we touched on with you know with the Sony type stuff. This is you know bulletproof. Not that you know you cannot. Not that you can't. Not that you can't rely on red. But uh, this well, look, is look at look at any uh, camera add-on thing. Yeah. Like the gold standard is an Ari, right? You'll yeah. say like that's an Ari matte box. Yeah, that's true. like that's shorthand for this is an incredibly well made. You know, it's going to be reliable and last a long time. Yeah, matte box. In thirteen years, twelve years, whatever of focus pulling, and then probably another sort of ten years plus of shooting DPing. I've only ever had one Ari camera uh, break on me, and that was an absolutely horrible, horrible, horrible day. I'll always remember. And uh, that was an old BL3 that its little encoder disc thing was spinning and it never quite got up to speed. It was getting up to speed, but it was kind of the little beep that goes away when you turn the camera on, it never went away. So no, middle of nowhere, it's about three degrees, hours, four hours from Sydney, and I have the only ARRI that uh, I've ever had to, ever had to, from Panavision Australia, that ever actually had to go back to Germany to be... Uh, well, repaired. we've smashed some Ari mat boxes, but I actually think on an action film, if you haven't actually broken a mat box, Absolutely. you're not trying hard. Yeah, that's right. You're doing it wrong. <laughs> They're almost there as a, <laughs> as a shock absorber. I want a mat box for the front of my car, so when I go to my garage, I know when I hit the wall. Hey, um, so... So thank you, and I really hope we yes. can hook up with Oliver. And, yeah, uh, he's a nice guy. Yeah, no, that was as I say, it was very good of them. So far out from you know, I mean, six months, a year or so till we actually see cameras, for them to to divulge. There was you know, uh, a lot of stuff he didn't quite know, and there's a lot of information not yet to hand. So it was terrific for them to speak so soon. I mean, let's face it: if you're on any shoot and somebody's handed you something which had an Ari logo on it, you'd you wouldn't look twice at it. You'd, yeah. You'd know that. Absolutely. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You no one's ha- ever, you know, and it's not like it's yeah. a safety bet. It's just a reliable, always delivers bet. Yep. No, you just, exactly, absolutely, you, you, you know it's going to work for sure. Well, now let's turn our attention to new gear. Bit of gear, which as mm. I say, this is something that um, I've sort of been going, ooh, this is cool. And it hasn't quite floated your boat, Mike, but we'll get you around <laughs> here. Um, this oh, I'd is, like one. This is, this is very cool. It um, fell in my lap. This is cool, and I, this is partly cool because um, essentially the piece of kit is a, a wireless uh, iris controller. Uh, and obviously, you could then apply it for focus if, if need be, and that will be part of their plans to roll this out. Uh, this is called the F-Stop Wireless Iris uh, iPhone app and wireless receiver. So basically, um, it communicates via a sort of you know a, a derivation of Wi-Fi on your iPhone to uh, basically you, you you buy a receiver from these guys, and it will adapt to most common um, iris or or focus motors. Okay. And bolt to your camera, and you'll be able to so basically. Just be, just give, be about this Hang on. I'm holding my iPhone. Yep. You're holding your iPhone, and I'm adjusting in real time up and down on the. Um, on the uh, iris but my question is this is it signal going from that straight to the thing that's on the camera or is it like the canon thing that would go to a laptop would go to the does it go straight to the cameras my question? Straight 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 to the re- to it goes straight to camera. its receiver which is designed you to don't make need any to other it. base station no that's right you okay, have your motor and the receiver and this now why this is so there's the app i've got that on my iphone i'm sure you can play with it anyway so you can even if you don't want to spend $2,300 on a, on a receiver, which, believe me, is actually quite cheap. 
Um, you can go to the iPhone, the the, the Apple iTunes app store and uh, download the uh, – if you search for Wireless Iris in, in iTunes, you'll get that app and it's like 99 cents. You can at least have a play with it and get an idea. There's also in link on their, uh, on their website, there is a really good um, video, demo video, which the guys did and all hooked up to a video, uh, hooked up to a, a red. Um, if you search for PLC Electronic Solutions – uh, you'll see their website, and that's got a great demo video of how it works, how you can use it with. M- basically, you can use it with multiple uh, so cameras. If I, if I had like a Preston rig, which is yep. what I'm used to for exactly. focus, right? Yep. Then this replaces the thing that I would normally hold in my hand, the size of a small novel with a knob on it. Yep. And an aerial. Yes, exactly. And that just uses my iPhone. When I say it replaces, obviously those 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 rigs are designed for full on Steadicam Pro. No, 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 I won't say replacing. I mean, it is equivalent. It's what, what this is is a really what the, I see this is is a really handy thing for a DOP to to own. I think uh, you can get the rental company to rent a motor, um, or you can buy your own motor. Obviously, but if you have this this app and the receive and the the receiver. It just gives you, it lets you own the iris control a little bit, and sometimes in a busy shoot, or you can be watching the watching the take and not operating. If you've got somebody else operating, you can you can control that iris. Obviously, you can give it to your camera assistant, but there's um, DPs kind of like to own the control of that I'm iris not, a little a, bit. I'm not against it. It's just yeah. that obviously you need the motor. Well, okay, yes, that's absolutely, good. and then you need. The two thousand bucks for the so yeah. the fact that the app costs ninety nine cents is not oh yeah there, no it's so. just a gateway drug to be able to get you to to at least to, to but it to will control three it cameras see. right yeah absolutely it will control three cameras you can lock each one so you can you can essentially if you look at the demo video it's terrific you can swap you can swap which camera you want to control so if you've got two or three cameras on set you can press and hold and switch to camera B adjust its iris lock that move on to another camera if you put it in into landscape mode it sort of shows you all of the camera settings so if you've got three cameras on set it'll show you the layout all the settings of all the iris in front of you um, and obviously you can create a big big you know big nice huge little padlock button on the screen there which will lock everything nothing will move and it's a very much um, a, a secure Wi-Fi, essentially Wi-Fi style connection that will has a really sort of handshake mode where it's very robust and interference free. It's not like if someone starts to pick up, you know, starts to cook, cook heat up a heat up a pie in craft services. You, suddenly, all your cameras go to twenty two f twenty two in the middle of a take. <laughs> you know, someone answers. Which would be much good for cooking. Somebody show. in the production office answers something on their cordless phone, and all of a sudden, all the yeah. cameras go wide open. No, no, I, I think it's. it's Right, it's it's just a pretty specialist. It is very specialist, but I know a lot of DPs that would happily have this in their kit, and yeah, you can rent it to production, or you can you know use it as your own bonus bonus thing. But uh, yeah, I think this is a really sort of very impressive app, and obviously this is just the beginning for these guys. Um, There's a lot of sort of a lot of stuff that's in development that uh, they they can't speak of yet, but there is definitely this is just the beginning, and uh, yeah, yeah, obviously you know for for for. Um, I mean, I mean, I'm I'm just a novice compared to you, right? But I would first be buying the remote focus pulling version yeah. than the remote iris pulling version because I don't tend to think a lot of the time we pull iris during the shot. Yeah. Whereas we pull focus on a lot of shots. Yeah. So true. I, I'm not having Absolutely. a go at them. I'm just saying, like, if you were coming out with a second product and it was a clip-on mm. to the red. Um, or you know some kind of 
thing for focus that yeah. I would probably be like, well, that is more likely to be something that I want to have in my kit because I'm more likely to use it on a job-by-job basis. Yeah. The nice thing about this is it's once you've got all that on the camera, your iris is in your pocket. You can check your email, you know, answer a call, and then you know, set the stop on your camera. You know, so if it's up on a crane or you know, Steadicam oh, or whatever, absolutely. So it it's, uses, it's, yeah. it is obviously the iPhone interface um, is a bit more in tune with setting things like irises versus it's not probably wouldn't be uh, the touchscreen itself is not doesn't really lend itself to fine beautiful control of focus say which would need you know a focus knob which of course that would be the next logical progression hey why don't we have you know a dock connector that leads to another separate little control well who knows um <laughs> In, looks like you do. I have no idea. I have no idea. But that would be as soon as I saw it. I said, "Wow, can we do focus as well?" Um, so yeah, obviously th- this kind of the interface lends itself to just simple iris control. Um, anyway, I, th- I think it's, it's terrific, and definitely this is this is going to be a, a terrific product for them. And we're going to get there. Well, hopefully, we should get our hands on a product to test down here, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be able to give it a give it a give it a play. Hand uh, the, the things that you've been mentioning are all the things that I would have. Considered concerns about and it sounds like they've addressed them that it calibrates properly that yep. it is actually robust that there isn't a lag there's no lag um, you in the video you see a little bit of lag but that just happens to be the setting you can have like a smooth setting or a prop you know that's to, just the setting of that particular motor and if you, there's definitely faster motors and there's different settings that would give you literally f- lagless one-to-one which of, is which isn't say, an issue with iris I anyway say, with iris it's yeah. pretty unlikely you're slamming absolutely iris the main thing you're looking at is that you don't have to look over at the lens to check that if your iphone is if that slider is set to eight on your screen of your iphone just know that it is completely yeah. bolted this onto is, um, the camera you this set, is an absolutely terrific area for them to be doing more work in yeah um, and obviously this is just the beginning if you can imagine if we start yeah. to then evolve this and come up with maybe cheaper motors then and little adapters and stuff this is going to this will be the start of the indie version of the prestons for epics and then and l- I, I just couldn't think anything better and exactly. plus if these guys have got this kind of technology they can interface with what you mentioned before which is the with with uh, with uh, Wi-Fi thing, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. With with Red's version of the wireless. This is PLC Electronic Solutions, right? Yeah, exactly. PLC Electronic Solutions Limited. Again, links in the show notes, pics in the show notes, and I'll definitely have a chat with them later. And hopefully, yeah, we'll have one of these in our hand to be able to play. So great bit of kit. Well done, well done, chaps. Um, now, well done, chaps. Well done, Probably chaps. Good chaps. Not a good show. Hey, um, we've run out of time by several hours. That's <laughs> <laughs> our. Our big Christmas um, oh, oh. one, but I did want to take a moment just to thank everybody uh, who's been listening to us uh, since we started because really the show has been um, a huge success. Actually, it's kind of exceeded our expectations. So, uh, not not in a, in a I don't mean that in a negative fashion, but just honestly, you guys have just uh, bowled us over with how enthusiastically you've embraced uh, Red Center and how many serious people uh, listen to the podcast. We we thank you very much for it. Absolutely, because it's really just the mindless ramblings of, uh, you know, a couple of people <laughs> in a dark room. Uh, yeah. Educated, educated uh, minds. There is that. Um, okay. <laughs> sure. No, I can see that. Um, yes. No, so absolutely. It's been, it's been brilliant. I've had a great, um, it's been a great year. It's been a really interesting year. Um, hopefully, uh, all the stuff we've been rabbiting on for the last uh, year or so will actually turn into some... Um, physical stuff. 
So uh, I'm just going to do our um, Twitter following mm. thingy thingy for mm. the thing. Um, and uh, I'm going to give a shout out to Zakuta because next time we come back, I'm actually going to be doing a lot of the time on uh, non-Zakuta stuff. Uh, no, but I'm, I, uh, I have had nothing but really good uh, feedback from so many people now about Zakuta. And so yeah. I started following them yeah. uh, on Twitter. And they are literally our Z-A-C-U-T-O. And um, if you uh, are in the world of the stuff that we're talking about, um, I think a lot of these companies are really good companies to be following because they're very responsive. They really want people to um, converse with them. And so obviously having Twitter feedback is a good way to do that. Yeah, and, and they so. seem to have a real good link uh, with the industry and they're listening to people and uh, doing some interesting stuff. Yes, and I'm actually just about to try and get my hands on a Zakuda um, uh, LED uh, eyepiece for my 7D. Uh, the Z Finder? Yeah, the Z mm-hmm. Finder, although they're uh, currently on back order. Yes, um, But, are. yeah, no, they're a very good company. And so... Um, uh, and I'm very interested in the rapid fire, the rapid fire shooter. I think it is. Yeah, there's a couple of their little uh, shoulder rigs and mounts that seem r- really make sense ergonomically to me. Yeah, make. and also because I think I, uh, I think they make the iPhone. Um, they do grip, and I've joked about that. Yes. And I think I may have come across like I didn't think that Sakuta was a terrific company, which oh, is just same. Wrong. I'm sure we flagged it in that when we mentioned it. I, I just think that, that particular that thing, particular yeah, part of the iPhone, product, not with yeah, uh, it's with exactly else. it's a problem with people wanting to take the camera seriously not the rigs yeah but everything else they do uh is is first class and also just encourage companies like them to be active on twitter because it's a great way of communicating absolutely and obviously when we start to get into little two-thirds inch scarlets and stuff their rigs are going to be all the more important and all the more useful you know when we the, as our as the cameras come become uh, you know smaller there's these little dslr rigs are gonna be you know are gonna be scarlet and epic rigs well, that's it for this week. I uh, thank you uh, so much, and thank you for the whole year, Joyce. Yes, thank you, Mike. It's been fantastic, and uh, next year's going to be a cracker uh, as well. There's lots, lots of. Uh, it's going to be a big year. We'll be back in the beginning of the new year with uh, new um, Red Centers. We have some great stuff coming up. We're going to be talking to the author of the book on uh, on the Red Guide. We're also going to be uh, reviewing and looking at all of the, uh, well, not all of the, but a significant amount of the rigs that go on. Uh, SLR cameras, such as the, um, uh, you know, the follow focuses and yep. all that kind of stuff, um, yep. exploring that more. So there's a bunch Absolutely. of good stuff coming up in the new year. And digital cinema, and I'm going to be delving into 3D as well, for sure. Um, if you want to follow us, I'm Mike Seymour on uh, Twitter. If you want to follow Jason, he is Wingrove yep. on uh, Twitter. And, of course, you can uh, get the show notes that we refer to all the time from the fxguide.com website, where we, of course, host this podcast. Again, thank you so much. Thanks, and everybody. be Please, please, please travel safely through the uh, holiday yep, have season. Have a great break. Um, yeah, we'll catch you. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us, red at fxguide.com. Copyright 2009, FX Guide, LLC.